0: Good evening. It is wonderful to see all of you out here tonight. We're joining our fellowship in just a little while. You'll we'll stay for that. People often ask me if crying babies bother me while I'm up here speaking. They bother some ministers, but they don't bother me. I'd rather hear, hear babies crying than hear snoring men. Each one tells a different story. A crying baby is the sign of a growing church. And a snoring man means that I... Well, I'll let you finish that. Okay. When we cry for something, this isn't necessarily a cry of sadness. Because as we long to experience God, as we long to have deliverance from pain, from suffering. There are ways that we can cry and ask God for what we need. Ask to be delivered, cry for salvation, cry for many things. Well, tonight we are going to look at seven earnest cries found in Scripture. I have a Thompson's Chain reference, and it has a section in the back, Wonderful study tool. And it just had these listed. Not much of an explanation, but I thought, man, that'll preach, as us preachers will often say. So as we consider these seven earnest cries, look for what you need. Because I I don't think we cry near enough, at least in the respect that the passages will illustrate in just a moment. And there's somewhere here, someone this evening that needs to cry one way or another. Maybe not shedding tears, but to cry for God to get something that they need. First off, let's turn to Genesis chapter 32. And we will read here about a cry for help. Genesis chapter 32. Of course, this cry can be very general. As we cry for something we need, maybe you don't know what it is you need. So what do you got to do? Well, you need to cry for help if you find yourself in that position. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 24. This is the passage that we often look at and consider that Jacob wrestles an angel, a messenger of God. Verse 24, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Jacob and this man, this angel from God, were wrestling. The messenger realized, I'm not going to win this. So he injures Jacob miraculously, it seems. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, Jacob saw something here that he could get, saw that he could be blessed by God, so he wasn't going to let go. And sometimes we need to cry for that. Sometimes we need to cry for a blessing in one way or another. And sometimes we sit and we mope, and maybe it's because you've not made this cry. You've not made this earnest cry. Well, I'm going to sit and be miserable, or maybe God God doesn't want to help me with this. God doesn't want to... Be there for me in this. It seems so trivial. Listen, if it's important to you, it's important to God. And if it shouldn't be important to you, you will learn that in due time. But if it is something that you are struggling with, that you need a blessing, somehow, some way, cry to God that he might bless you with that. Hurt will come. Hurt came to Jacob. It'll be difficult. Growth will be required. Patience will be required because that such is life. Whenever we need help, oftentimes it's because we're hurting one way or another, but we don't cry enough to God to help us. But Jacob did here towards the messenger. Verse 31, Now the sun rose upon him just as Jacob crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. So this was something that Jacob had to endure apparently the rest of his life. And the Israelites went so far as to recognize it. For in verse 32, Therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat, The sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Maybe you need to cry for help for one reason or another. Let's look to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, we read here of a cry for intercession. Up to this point, Moses has been on Mount Sinai spending time with God and receiving the Ten Commandments. He's been away from the people. And oftentimes, as is the case with humans, when a leader is away, the people will, will do as they wish. They're not being watched, they're not being observed, so they'll, they'll act how they want when the leader is away. Exodus chapter 32, and verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, The people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Moses there leading the people, leading them and worshiping God and following God. They had not seen him for a while, so they go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, Make for us a God. You see, this is part of the influence that they brought with them. From Egypt, as they looked and saw all this gold, all these false gods around them, you know, that was something they were familiar with. So they said, well, we need to adopt that now. The people became very impatient, and they asked Moses to fashion them a god. So he did. And then we read in verse 5, Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now the New Testament says something about not serving God and mammon, not serving God and another God. For our God is a jealous God, and he would not have this. But Aaron, who yielded to the popular cry, had people coming to him, saying, Aaron, make us a God, show us something that we can worship. We don't know when Moses is going to be back. Aaron, in his pride, in his folly, probably thought, huh, if I do this for them, maybe they'll start following me instead of Moses. Well, so he does it, but then he builds an altar. That's what verse 5 says. So you've got the golden calf, and then he builds an altar, and he says, hey, tomorrow we're going to worship God. Tomorrow we're going to worship the true and living God. We're going to have a feast for him, and, you know, he'll, he'll be okay with that. God's not going to be okay with that at all. And, but I think Aaron probably thought to himself, maybe I can control this so that it doesn't get out of hand, and Moses will be okay with it. Well, of course he wasn't. And neither was God. Let's look at verses 30 through 32 of Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32 and verse 30. On the next day, Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out of your, from your book which you have written. So Moses goes to God, explains to God what has happened, and said, Lord, please forgive them. He is crying for intercession. He is crying for the people's forgiveness because they have sinned. And you know what? Moses actually accepts some of the blame here. He says, Lord, if, if you can't forgive them, take me out. Take me out of the book of life. So Moses is willing to sacrifice himself. What great love that he has. What great love that he has for these people. Anyway, he's asking God, He is trying to intercede for them. He's asking God, forgive them. But if not, take me out of your book. Verse 33, the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Verse 34, So Moses here cries for intercession. And quite often we need to cry for intercession, for that of others. To show us ways to help them, to show us ways to speak to them about our God, about our Savior, about the Holy Spirit. We need to to ask God to, to give us wisdom to somehow intercede one way or another. Here Moses wanted God to forgive them. We need to ask God to help us reach out and to love people in much the same way. Next is the cry for wisdom. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. The cry for wisdom. Of course, this being King Solomon asking for wisdom in his early days as king. 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 6. Let's start there. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, According as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you, and you have reserved for him this great loving kindness, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen. A great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. To discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. We need to cry to God for wisdom. You don't know what to do quite often. So pray to know what to do. Pray for understanding. That's what causes so much confusion in life. Because people are so quick to act when they don't understand. They think, well, this is the right thing to do. And they've not given it prayer. They've not given it thought. They've not asked for counsel. And they go and they move on something. And I've found when people do that, myself included, it's when we're apt to make the most mistakes. So we must cry out to God for wisdom. Let's look at verse 10. This was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches (coughs) for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment, to understand justice. There was a lot of things Solomon could have asked for. There was a whole lot of things he could have prayed to God about that God would grant him, but instead he asked for understanding. And God said, you know, you could have asked me to kill your enemies. You could have asked to be rich, but you didn't. Sometimes maybe that's what gets in our way. We should be crying out, praying for wisdom, but instead we're crying out for something off the wall, out of the range of the will of God, something that is selfish and from an evil heart. But no, we see here that Solomon asked for wisdom. That's an example we should follow. Behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I think that shows us here that wisdom is a pretty good commodity. Wisdom is something that if we were to have more of, we could make better decisions and be more pleasing to God. Next is the cry for cleansing. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 here, David, in, in other places quite often, talks about a cleansing in one way or another. Here we'll look at chapter 51, verses 1 and 2. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Our, our God is a loving God. Our God is a forgiving God. And all of us should want to, want to experience that. All of us should want to Have a clean heart. Have a heart free of guilt, of despair. Have a cleansing by our God in heaven. Here David's asking for it. Maybe you need to ask for it as well. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. This, of course, found in the Old Testament. We read in the New Testament, Of course, baptism is a part of this. Baptism is a part of this where we are immersed in a grave of water and arise a new creature, and that is the cleansing of today. But I'm afraid that sometimes people may just go through that action and not really think about this part of it. I'll go through the action, and that's enough. It's not. There's got to be a total change in you, a total change. You can't just go through the actions. I told some boys that at summer camp one year you know this isn't the end of it this is just the beginning it's got to be about your heart as well there's got to be a total a total renewal of yourself it can't just be the action and i think david's words here kind of hit on that it's got to be beyond the act of baptism beyond the act of salvation if we are to experience that we must have god in our heart in this way asking him to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, knowing that we have sin in our life. Sometimes we, some people might become a Christian not thinking about the sin in their life, not seeing what separates them from God. Here David recognizes that. He asks God to cleanse him from his sin so that he might be forgiven of it. Sometimes we don't recognize the sin that's in our life. And we should. Otherwise, why would we even ask? Why would we ask God for this type of cleansing? We often recognize the judgment and authority of God, but we oftentimes miss out on His loving kindness, as David mentions here in verse 1. Sometimes we acknowledge the judgment, the authority, but we forget about that part. May we always acknowledge the spiritual side, the voice that says, get closer to God. Don't neglect it, but ask God to continually cleanse you daily. The next cry is that of the dying soul. Let's look to Luke chapter 23, please. Luke chapter 23. As Jesus is on the cross with the other two criminals, he is on the cross and has a very interesting conversation with them there. Luke 23 and verse 39 says, One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He felt his demise, he he knew where he was, and he asked Christ, Hey, can't you just get us off of here? But the other answered and rebuked him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We are here because we are criminals, he's saying to them. Don't you fear God? Don't you fear the one that is here? Perhaps this man, the thief on the cross, We often refer to him as. Perhaps he was among those throughout Jesus' ministry that saw him perform miracles, that saw him preach and teach, and he understood maybe a little better than the other criminal who was on the other side. Verse 41, And and we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. My dad was a tool and die maker at s Industries in Mount Juliet for years and years. And each year he had to take stock of their inventory. I helped him over a few Christmas breaks that I was in town. And he had to go and he had to weigh the materials and count the materials. The company needed to know what they had. They needed to know what they had in stock, you see, so that they could make better decisions the following year. It is at death that we often take stock of our lives. What have we done? What do we wish we would have done? And besides, what more can one do in those moments other than look at what he or she has done throughout their lives? And it is that, in those final moments, that a person either laments what they have done or they simply look to the future and how they might have that eternal life with God someday. And so what will you cry at death? What will your crying be at that moment? I wish I'd worked more. I wish I'd argued more. I sure am glad I didn't make up with that person I was mad about mad with for so many years, that did me a whole lot of good. None of us, I don't think, will do that. But hopefully we will take stock every day of our behaviors to ensure that we are living our best lives now. So that the cry of the dying soul at that moment can be more, Lord, accept me into your abode, accept me onto your right hand at that day of judgment. Next there is the cry for salvation. Acts chapter 16, let's turn there. Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, for he would be put to death anyway, right? But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The cry salvation here we read it also in Acts chapter 2 and in other places where people want that salvation they see something incredible as in this example where they're taught the gospel and they say how do I get that how do I get to see what that is all about and then of course the following lesson will follow oftentimes it will include baptism as we read in chapter 16 in verse 31 They said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Probably the first time that the Philippian jailer had heard much at all about Jesus. So what's the one thing they need to tell him? Hey, you've got to believe. But of course, the story doesn't end there. Verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. They didn't stop at belief. They went to his house. He took them out. Hey, you're out of your bonds now. Let's go. Let's go talk to some people. I've got some family members I want you to see. He wants salvation. Now he wants it for his family. Verse 32 talks about how he go Paul and Silas go and study with his family. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. Most likely they had been beaten. The shackles that were on their wrists and on their feet probably rubbed sores. So he's taking care of them. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Verse 33 And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So there is a cry of salvation. And so many people need salvation today. Salvation from an eternal death and salvation from the woes of this world more immediately. What's interesting here was the jailer was teachable. He wanted to know. He wanted to learn. Why? Because Paul and Silas were there and they were exemplifying the utmost, their utmost respect for God and love for other people and love for his soul. They could have ran out. They could have escaped, but they didn't. Instead, they saved a soul. A man from death were able to teach him in order to save his soul because he cried for that salvation. Lastly, there is the Cry for deliverance. Paul cries to God for deliverance from his the thorn that is in his flesh, second Corinthians chapter twelve, verses seven through nine. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. So something was, was given to Paul in the days prior, weeks, months prior, however. And this messenger, it says, is from Satan, lest I should be exalted from measure. This is hurting me. And what he could do, what a man could do quite often, even today, See, if he has a thorn in the flesh, he's going to blame God for it. What did Paul do? Paul did something different. He said, I know this is from Satan. I know this is him trying to push me away from God. It is a messenger of Satan. But you know what, I probably have this through the wisdom of God. I have this so that I don't exalt myself. Paul knew so well how it shouldn't be about him. And he could have been a rock star in those days. Certainly. A rock star for Jesus because so many people knew him and he was such a powerful man. Such a powerful man in the faith. The Jews knew him. Now the Christians knew him. I'm sure so many other people did as well. And He says, I don't want to be exalted at all. But what does he do? For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. I asked God three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, when we are weak in one way or another, then God can shine through at that time. Because it shouldn't be about us. It shouldn't be about us in particular, but rather how God is able to work through us and God tells him here, as, as Paul is praying for deliverance from this thorn in the flesh, God tells him, no, no, I want, you to, I want you to keep that. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul saw the value. He'd ask God for deliverance, and God said no. God said no. That needs to stay. For now, at least. There's probably something that you need to be delivered from, that you need to ask God to deliver you from it. But he may say no, he may say in due time, well, why is that? Maybe like for Paul, helping you to depend on him. Perhaps you need to grow more spiritually as you experience that hardship, because life is full of hardships. But it's through those hardships that we can learn more and more about the love of God, and about what He can do for us. You have something this evening that you need to cry out to God about. Perhaps you need to do it in a public way. Perhaps you need to come forward. Maybe you have a need for salvation. The Philippian jailer said, what must I do? Paul and Silas said, believe. Let's go study some more. And he baptized them that night. That shows the importance of baptism. That shows why we should not delay but rather we should work to enhance, or to rather ensure our salvation at the moment that we know that we should have it. And if that is you tonight, I pray you'll come forward and we can baptize you. Or if you are a Christian that is struggling with something and you need deliverance from it, you need something of that sort, I pray that you'll come forward this evening and let us assist you. Please come now as we stand and sing.